last year, uh, I did a series of messages, messages on the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, and uh, we're thankful that God used that to encourage us and to challenge us and to uh, remind us that, that he's still on the throne, that uh, he does as he pleases, and he continues to work uh, in the hearts of men. Uh, today, we're going to start, uh, look at another Old Testament um, hero of our faith. Uh, we all know his story, and maybe hero is a, um, a general word that we could use for one of God's prophets. But before I begin to talk about him, yesterday was, in a, pretty, was a pretty amazing day if you watched the Weather Channel. Now, why would you watch the Weather Channel when there's no storm out there? Because it seemed to be that many were enamored with the solar eclipse. And, and they had like, like Jim Cantori in one place and, and three or four other uh, reporters in different places so that they could experience this this solar eclipse, this ring of fire, this annular eclipse, uh, which they called the multi-sensory experience. You know, when the moon, as we knew was going to happen, the moon came right in front of the sun for a large slice of people who live here on this earth. And I didn't hear one word about the person who created the sun the person who created the moon, the person who put everything in place so that it would happen just on schedule. The heavens declare the glory of God. Sadly, so many people in humanity miss it. I mean, how cool is that? But who made it? And, 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 and when did he make it? And, and isn't that powerful to make something like that that can impact so many people when they see something like that happening? I mean, even when we were playing golf yesterday morning, it was a, got a little bit cloudy, I guess, around the, the 9.30, 10 o'clock, 10.30 area. Uh, thankfully, we kept looking right in front of us or to the left or to the right uh, as needed. But, but it was a little bit cloudy, which was nice because uh, before the weather changed last night, it was warm. And so here's this solar eclipse um, given to us by God, declaring his glory, and it was missed. And I use that as an introduction to uh, uh, encourage us as we look at God's word that we're going to look at the prophet Jonah, a, a, a very interesting human being, one chosen by God to be his prophet uh, to, the, to the ten tribes, to Israel, uh, and beyond. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to, to Jonah. We're just going to look at the first chapter today uh, and see what, what happens there, a story that you're very familiar with, but hopefully there are some things that we can apply to our lives 
some multiple centuries later uh, after Jonah. And it begins in Jonah chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Wonderful. God gives one of his prophets marching orders. Tells them exactly what to do, exactly where to go, exactly even what to say. This is gonna be a wonderful book. We're gonna see God accomplish something that he has planned in advance to accomplish through his prophet Jonah. I mean, don't we all wanna hear, God, what do you want me to do today? Because if you tell me what to do, Lord, I'll do that exact thing that you tell me to do. And yet, Jonah ran away. Jonah, what are you doing? God spoke to him. He's the son of Amittai. And do you know that Jonah is found in other places in Scripture besides the book of Jonah? In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse, beginning in verse 23, we read this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was, one, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. And so we have an indication here in 2 Kings that Jonah had a ministry to the, to the northern tribes, to, to those uh, tribes that we call Israel. A ministry that, that was prophetic, he said that, that the king, even though the king was evil, the king would do some good things, that he would restore the boundaries of Israel, and, and Jonah accomplished that ministry. But later, God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah says, uh-uh, I'm not going. I'm going to find something else to do, God, rather than being obedient to you. And what does God say? Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now some of your versions that you might be looking at right now say, arise and go to that great city. And that, that's, the, that's the words that, that Jonah uses describing God speaking to him as if God was saying, Jonah, I recognize that I'm giving you something different to do. You're not going to just speak to, to my children, the Israelites right there. I'm gonna send you in a different direction. I'm gonna ask you to continue your ministry, but in a completely different location. So I realize that, Jonah. Get up and get ready. This is, this is the plan that I have. Go to that great city of Nineveh, a city of of of. of large number of people that live there, the capital of Assyria. Go to that great city and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. 
Well, if you're a prophet of God, and it, it, it's one thing to speak to your people a message of judgment, but to go to people that you don't know, you may not even be able to speak their language, so you may need a translator. You, you've never been there before, and you're gonna go with a message of judgment and preach against it. Uh, that's not gonna be an easy responsibility that God gives Jonah because its wickedness has come up before me. And so in one sense, we're not surprised that Jonah's message was what it was. Preach judgment against that city because their wickedness has come before me. Does it remind you of another Old Testament city where God sent someone to, to, to see what was going on in that city? And in, in uh, Genesis chapter 18, uh, the three uh, from the Lord um, came down and, and had an engagement with Abraham as they looked out over uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and it says in Genesis 18, 20, the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I've come down to see if it's what has been done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And so God is, is aware of what happens here on this earth. Even if it's, if it's evil that's happening, God is completely aware of that. Um, <clears throat> and we would expect, uh, if God is aware of it and judgment is called for, um, there could be fire and brimstone once again falling on Nineveh just the way it fell on Sodom. But, verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Instead of going the 500 miles to Nineveh, where God had called them to go, and if God had called them to go there, he would give Jonah the resources that he needs to accomplish that ministry. Rather than go that 500 miles, even though he could have been afraid of a trip like that, there are many reasons why he could have come up with, you know, it's far away, I'm busy right now, I enjoy and I'm blessed by the ministry that you've given me, God. You know, I'm really, 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 you want me to go to Nineveh? <clears throat> and then we read in chapter four where Jonah gives us the real reason because he knew God was a gracious God and a compassionate God. And even though this had never happened in his ministry in Israel, if he goes and preaches judgment they might turn around. They might recognize the fact that they deserve judgment and repent and, and begin to follow the living God. And so the, Jonah had, this, had a real theological um, uh, block on following God and, and the instruction that he'd given. Um, and instead, he decided to run away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 500 miles to Nineveh, possibly 2,500 miles via, via boat to Tarshish. 
I'm going to go in complete opposite direction as far as I can possibly go. Most of us, I was going to say we all, but you always want to sort of hedge a little bit. Most of us, when we were growing up, remember, when we were growing up, played a game that we call hide and seek. Right? You've, you've played hide and seek just like, like I played hide and seek. And there's, there's various number of, of other, other uh, names in which that, that general game is called. But you know what it's like. You, the person who's it, you know, goes and closes their eyes, hopefully, and, or looks down, looks away. And everybody else, while they're counting to 50 or 100 or whatever it is, everybody scatters. And then it's the person who's it who has to go find these people in order, to, uh, in order for the game to happen. Imagine playing hide-and-seek with God. Oh, man. Wherever I go, God is who's it. He knows where I am. And yet that's what Jonah does. He decides in his own mind, to run away from God. I have, there's no reason for us to think that Jonah doesn't know Psalm 139, verses seven and following. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even then the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And you wonder if he knew the account, the account of the first man and woman that God placed here on this earth. Did Adam and Eve do okay in playing hide and seek with God? Absolutely not. There's no place that we can go where God isn't there already. But he heads for Tarshish. Look at this this sequence there in verse 3. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. He paid the fare. He had enough money to do that. He went aboard and sailed to Tarshish in the complete opposite direction to flee from the Lord. I mean, in his own thinking, oh, look at this. God, God enabled me to find a, a boat going in this direction. God, he, he gave me enough money to pay for this boat. They, they invited me on. Uh, it's leaving when I wanted to leave. And it's going in the direction that I want to go. Look at all the things that God has provided for me, allowing me to run away from him. You don't think that Jonah would think like that? You don't think that we don't think like that sometimes. Um, As we um, listen to God and hear uh, the direction that he wants us to go in. And so we we see uh, Jonah responding to God's instruction in this way by running in the opposite direction. And so 
rather than making application all the way at the end, in this first section right here, the question that we could apply it to our own lives is this. What is our response to God's clear direction? When God tells us what to do, what is our response? to what God tells us what to do. Cynthia, when she was up reading the New Testament passage, it was full of God telling us things to do, how to act, the kind of attitude that we should have, the way in which we should understand things that are happening around us. What is our response to what God is calling us to do? Jesus said this in John 14, 23 and following. Jesus replied, if anyone who loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So if we have love for God, if we have love for Jesus, the response to God's clear direction in our lives should be obedience. If you come to our service tonight, Don Nielsen will be talking about this whole idea of obedience even more. It was interesting what what John Calvin said about this issue of obedience in connection with Jonah right here. He said, yet the fact itself shows that no one withdraws himself from obedience to God's commands without seeking to diminish and, as it were, take from God his power so that he may no longer rule. Whosoever then does not willingly subject themselves to God is the same as though they would turn their backs on him and reject his authority that they may no longer be under his power and dominion. If we're unwilling to follow God's clear command, we're just saying to God, God, we know better than you. God, we can do this apart from you. God, we don't need you. And yet we do. So it continues on there from God's instruction to God's intervention. In verse four, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Where did that great wind come from? The Lord sent this great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I mean, this was a storm of, of, of biblical proportion, a storm sent by God. Psalm 104, verse two, the Lord wraps himself up in the lights as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on his waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. It's not a big deal for God to send wind. When God says to wind, I need you to show up there Affecting this ship right there in the middle of the, of the sea, the wind does it. It's only human beings that think it's a smart thing to do to somehow walk away from God or think that we're smarter than God. <clears throat> no, the rest of creation always does exactly what God asked it, <clears throat> asks it to do. And so the Lord sent a wind in such a violent storm that the, thre- <clears throat> the ship threatened to break up 
All the sailors, even though they were probably experienced sailors for this long journey, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to her own God. What did they do when they were afraid? They prayed. Now it was only to their own gods. And if they were, they were probably hopeful that they had, you know, Lots of prayers in lots of different directions, hoping that one of those prayers would make a difference. Uh, They all prayed and cried out to his own God. Uh, You know, the whole foxhole faith right here. Uh, Everyone has a, a, hopefully a connection to God. No one's an atheist in the foxhole. And these sailors demonstrated that. They prayed to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Amazing what people will do as a last resort when they are afraid of their life. <clears throat> but they prayed each to his own God. Reminded in Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. All human beings worship, but all of the worship is false unless it's worship of the living God, the God of Scripture, the God who created the world in which we live in. And so these men all prayed, and and not only did they pray, but they they did something in response to their prayers or after their prayers, uh, because the storm continued. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. I mean, they were that concerned. They're they're not going to be able to get paid when they get to their destination because they have nothing, they brought nothing with them that they were that impacted by the crew, uh, that the crew was that impacted by the storm. Um, And yet we think the storm is all about Jonah, but the crew was involved. But Jonah, at the end of verse five, that Jonah had gone back to the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, I know some of you are boaters out there and you say, no, 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 no. The the story just took the wrong direction right there. Um, Jonah is there sleeping. I mean, uh, you you know, seriously, how can that possibly be? Remember, uh, God is involved in this whole thing. He may have been uh, running away from God for, for days and finally finding this thing to get out of there. He was somehow, somehow, some way sleeping Uh, in the deck of the ship, and it was a deep sleep. But the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Um, Get up and call on your God. We need more prayer. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Wow, a prophet of God is asked by pagan sailors to, to offer a prayer to the true God for help, we need help. What, a, what an opportunity for connection that God gives to Jonah. And then the sailors, verse seven, said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Imagine that, that God in his providential control of casting lots made sure that the, that the finger was pointed right at Jonah. 
And they said, uh, so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I like to ask, ask those questions myself when I meet somebody new here in the church. Just building a connection, building a relationship with one another. And here are these sailors who had no idea who Jonah was asking him these questions all about himself. And Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now he tells them that he's a Hebrew and that may have well have thought in their minds back to Moses, back to David, the great men of the Hebrew faith who were monotheistic. There was one God if you were a Hebrew and you bowed before that God. And David er, and Jonah affirmed that he was the creator, not of just the dry of the heavens and the dry land and the sea. He was the creator of everything. Much, much, much different than the God of these sailors. And that's why in verse 10, they were terrified and they asked, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord. He'd already told them that, but the storm brought new understanding to why he wanted to go on this ship all the way to Tarshish. The sea kept getting rougher and rougher in verse 11. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? Somehow, by the Spirit of God, Jonah gained respect from these sailors. And they asked him, I'm not sure I would have waited to ask, it would have been pretty clear to me what we need to do. If he said, I'm the reason for this storm, we need to get rid of you. But they asked him, what should we do? You know, what should we do uh, to you to make the sea calm down for us? Uh, he may be running away from God, but he still seems to be a fairly good individual. Uh, Pick me up, verse 12, and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. There's the voice of a prophet right there telling them what will happen in the future. Now, we don't know why Jonah uh, had that idea that, that, that God would do that. Maybe God had had really spoken through him and to him and he wasn't going to run away this time. He was going to, to respond to God appropriately. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. Jonah humbles himself in front of these sailors. He confesses his sin to them. And, and he repents. He said, you can do with me as you want. Uh, an attitude of repentance reminding us of Psalm 32, where, where David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as it is in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So Jonah said, this is what you should do. You should throw me in and, and that will stop it. Showing a, a wonderful change in Jonah. Instead, verse 13, the men did, not, did their best to row back to the land. 
nice idea, Jonah, but I think we can make it through. Well, and the word there, to row back, is actually a, a picture to dig through these waves in order to get back there. Um, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before than before. Uh, is God done yet? Absolutely not. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Boy, these sailors, in a pretty quick fashion, have gained some interesting theology about God that God can do what he pleases, that God uh, is the one that holds human beings accountable for what they do, and, and that God even hears their prayers. Don't let us die as they, as they prayed to God. An amazing proclamation. But they took Jonah after praying that prayer and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. The raging sea grew calm. Jonah was exactly right that if he was thrown overboard, the sea would grow calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord as they offered a sacrifice to God and made vows to him. Wow. We think the story is about Jonah running away from God. And the biggest change we see so far in chapter 1 is the hearts, or are the hearts of these sailors. There's a new attitude right there. They feared the Lord, and they have a new action. They offered a sacrifice. They responded right away and made vows. They have a new future, a new direction that they're going to go in because of this confrontation with Jonah but more importantly, with God. And so the second uh, application right here after this one, and we'll, we'll quickly move through the third, are we willing to allow the circumstances we face to show God's work in our lives? Do we look around us and see what's going on, whether it's close by, whether it's in our personal lives or our families or our, our communities or the world in which we live in, do we have an open heart to hear from God how to understand and respond to the circumstances that we face? How to respond with what's going on over in Gaza. How to respond with, with what's happening in our own country. How to respond with the, the, the difficult challenges that we may face because of our physical condition or the condition of those we love. Are we willing to allow God to speak through those circumstances to see his hand at work? And then finally, Verse 17, one verse to go, God's provision. So Jonah goes over the ship. He goes into the water. For all intents and purposes, Jonah's going to die, right? I mean, I mean, they're going to throw him out of, the, out of the ship. And he's in the middle of nowhere where no one else is around him. He's going to die. Now the Lord... 
provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, what kind of fish is that? It's a godfish. Jonah in particular did not, that there was a word for whale. Jonah did not, not choose that word. The fish that came from God that allowed him to live three days after being swallowed inside the belly of a fish. Okay, pastor, that's where this story goes bad because we don't think God could do that. Um, you lived for nine months the first nine months of your life, you were surrounded by, not water, but fluid, right? Amniotic fluid. How did that work? Tell me, how did that work? Now, I know there's a few doctors in here. You could give me the right answer. But just, you know, what God has designed, it perfectly works out to accomplish God's purpose. And instead of... Jonah dying, God wasn't finished with Jonah yet. And we'll have the opportunity to, to, to have that in the belly experience with Jonah as we hear his cry out to God in chapter two when we get, get there. But the biggest miracle in the book of Jonah is not Jonah living three days inside the belly of a whale. It's the response of the people in Nineveh to the message that Jonah gives. Remember his message, destruction is coming, judgment is coming, you're all gonna be toast before you know it because of what you've done. And amazingly, they repented of their sin. That's the biggest miracle in the book of Jonah. But we'll see that later on. And so Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, a picture of Jesus that Jesus himself uses in Matthew 12 and Luke chapter 11. And so our final application, can we trust God for every challenge that we face? Can we trust God? God with every challenge that we face? Will he provide for us exactly what we need? And I'm not so sure if we were God that we would have provided for Jonah because we've got the rest of the book. We know that Jonah's so interesting. But God provided for Jonah in his time of need. God provided for those sailors in their time of need. God provided for the Ninevites in their time of need as we look further into the book. But in our context, can we put our trust in God to provide for us exactly what we need? And I close with this from Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him.
The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we look forward to meeting Jonah someday. And we know that even though uh, he was in the, in the eighth century before Jesus was here, uh, going through this experience, that, that these words challenge us today. And so help us, Lord. Help us to, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Help us to, to understand the circumstances that are going on or around us. And help us to be obedient to you, Lord your clear word for us. In Jesus' name, amen.